Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randeep Janda. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the People's Show, a Wednesday edition. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shermati, and you, the people, texting in 650-650 into our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Randy Janda, what's going on? What's going on, Bick? And I'm happy to say my mic is actually working. I, I made sure to check Let's today go. before starting the show. I don't know who's in here before, whether it's Richo or Sat or whoever. Sabotage. Sabotaging my mic before they Saboteurs. leave. Saboteurs. But there don't you are. Developing good habits. Yeah, maybe. That's what September training camp is for. Prep work. Yeah. Show up. In shape and ready to go. New new structure. Damn all right. All that sort of stuff. All of that. Developing those good habits as we get ready for the uh, NHL season, the Vancouver Canucks season. A lot to get into today, as always. Uh, we'll be joined with uh, Cameron De Silva at 2 o'clock, the Rams Wire, previewing the LA Rams, Super Bowl champion LA Rams, and the rest of the NFC West. Football kicks off tomorrow. Tomorrow! At SoFi Stadium. Bills versus Rams, elite matchup, and what are the Rams... A year later, right? Some mm -hmm. departures. We're going to get into that with uh, Cam De Silva, and I want an outsider's perspective on those Seattle Seahawks. Mm -hmm. now, we've talked a, a lot about them. We've talked to people from Seattle about the Seahawks. Now let's see what others in the division think about Geno Smith and the weapons that they have. I, I, I imagine it'll be more positive than you realize. You think so? I think everyone understands that it's a transition year, and the manner in which they've gone through that transition is actually pretty impressive. I think that'll be the sentiment. I'm just waiting for Geno Slander. But we'll see. That's we'll fair. see. That's fair. Uh, Danny Kelly will also join us from the ringer. You should be doing your, uh, or done your fantasy football drafts or your last chances tonight. The People Show Fantasy League drafts tonight. We're locked in. Both teams, yep. 12 apiece. I'm sorry for anybody that thought that there would be a spot open because, you know, nobody registered or one person didn't register. As of last night, the final person did. So we're ready to go in the People Show Fantasy Football League. Sportsnet 650, we had ours last night. Yeah. I can tell you right now, I'm not happy with my team. I'm not really thrilled with mine either. But whatever. We'll get hey, Whatever. That. Like, yeah. I, that's the least important of my leagues this year. Uh, 650, 650, is there a link to see the draft results for the uh, People Show Fantasy Draft? That's tonight. That's tonight. But we're giving you, if you're in your own league, we're giving you one last chance as a prep. And also, just prepare your week one lineups with our guy Danny Kelly from The Ringer. Maybe you got an early season start him, sit him. Yeah. Send him over. We're essentially doing that for week one. We're doing this every Wednesday with Danny at around this time. Uh, so we'll do that uh, at 2.30, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. And also, Irfan Gafar will join us at 3 o'clock as well. If you're watching on the stream, you'll also notice uh, Randy Janda wearing a stylish uh, white tee. What does that say? This is uh, Daniel Ricardo's brand. It's called Enchanté Marché. Okay. So, yes, it is It is a t-shirt. It is not a kit. It's yeah. not a Manchester United kit. I, I had a bit of a conundrum. So, this is part of the bet. And, by the way, I'm going to announce your uh, team name on air as well. Oh, that's great. I, I, so looking forward I, to that. I came up with so many ideas 
and I pitched it by uh, our good friend Israel Fair. I was like, hey, you're an Arsenal fan. Which one of these would annoy you the most? And he gave me his submission. So I was like, that's the one I wanted. That's the one you chose. That's what we'll go with. I'll announce that later on. My guy is real fair, a part of my demise. Well, I just had to, I had to crowdsource this Come a little on. bit. I had to crowdsource this. But you're not wearing the kit. And I, I, I have a bit of a moral conundrum here. I'm not sure. Like we talked about it. It's like, oh, it's a nice bet. You have to wear the other theme's kit. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to besmirch the badge. I, I, I'm not sure you're worthy to wear the kit. Oh, okay. Okay. Hey, you know what? In that case, I don't know if I'm worthy either, Bic. I think you make a great know. point. I, I, would, I would happily sit this out if I am not worthy of said kit. Uh, no, truth be told, I forgot. I, All I, right. I, I left it on. It's literally on my armchair at home. Okay. I just left it. So That's all that happened. All right. Unfortunately, looks like I'm going to have to follow through on this thing. Probably you, tomorrow. You'll have to live in dread for another day. All right. Not looking forward to that. My bad. You know what? My bad, everyone. As the Chara Richo photo t- shows us. <laughs> Pictures last forever. Yeah, that's Excellent. what that's what I don't like about this setup here. Pictures last forever. Uh, all right, a lot to get into again, as we mentioned. Uh, Want to start the show with some Canucks talk? Uh, something that you kind of brought up to me: the J.T. Miller signing. Now we we've talked about it that this was the signal of the direction of the franchise. How much of this has to do with they're in a tough spot? They had to make this commitment to this player just for where they came into the timeline of the organization, but also seeing the relative success they had under Bruce Boudreaux, how much of that type of signing is a bet on what they saw through 56-7 games? It is a it is a bet on that, right? When you commit to a player for seven years for $56 million, you're essentially saying that, that version we saw last year with you and a couple years before that, but especially what we saw from you and what we saw from the team when they responded to Bruce Boudreaux, you're doubling down on that. You're essentially saying those 74 points, that point percentage of 649, a lot of line, it's funny how that works out, was something that you can believe in. The way that that 57-game sample, and yes, there are flaws, don't get me wrong, but Bick, when we look at some of those metrics, clearly the organization has fallen on, on the idea that and fallen in love with the idea that that sample size, that showed us something. That showed us that this coach can get the most out of that team. And there's going to have to be an expansion of that. There's going to have to be a, a much better version of that. But when you make that deal and you avoid a reset or a rebuild, for as some fans were wanting in this market, it does show you that they don't think it was lightning in a bottle, that it can be replicated. And I have my doubts in certain aspects because one thing we have to do consider is that goaltending, it was high level, mm-hmm. high level from Thatcher Demko. And you expect to see something very similar going forward. But the biggest question to this, the biggest question to all of this is, as a team, are you better defensively? So this whole, was it lightning in a bottle? Can it be replicated? It might be able to be replicated, but what are you getting out of that defense is going to be the big question. Well, I think the history of Bruce Boudreaux would indicate he's going to get the most out of his players. Timeline, how long it lasts. Fair question, but in the here now for that sample size, 57 games, okay, he was going to get the most out of his players. But then there was no personal commitment to Bruce Boudreaux. There was to JT Miller, but not extended to Bruce Boudreaux. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of separate the two idea and I say this is about talent evaluation and how difficult it is to find players like JT Miller to produce at the level of JT Miller. We can talk about first-round picks and all that sort of stuff. 
to get to a stage where you're then replicating what JT Miller can is doing for you, I think is a difficult task. And they've chose another hard path of we can go through this and try to compete, make the playoffs, and still continue to build out the assets. But I think these two are separate ideas from the idea of JT Miller is worth this, and because we're signing him to this, we believe in the entirety of the group. I don't know if that's true because then you would have extended the coach as well. That's fair. They're looking for a little bit more of a sample size. But if you look at the lack of moves that have been made around the team, other than the extension, mm-hmm. and, you know, tinkering here and there, obviously Mikheyev's a big deal. And that's somebody that's going to improve your team. Kuzmenko's a big deal as well. But when we're talking about a massive move that would change the the outlook of the organization, I think the JT Miller deal is that because it tells us where they're headed. Mm-hmm. But what does it come down to? It comes down to tapping into what happened last year and making sure that they avoid what happened at the beginning of previous year, was 25 games of the season. So, yes, it's a separate talent evaluation. But essentially what you're doing is you're saying, hey, Bruce Boudreau was in a position to get the most out of you. Travis Green in the first 25 was not able to. And, yes, they will be evaluating, evaluating Bruce Boudreau, but it does feel like this is an opportunity for, you know, this organization to essentially say, we do believe in you to a certain point. Obviously, you bring him back because you still want that sample size, that larger sample size pick. But I, I do wonder, moving forward here, you know, we've talked about the offense last year and the offense that some of these players in the second half of the season were able to put up. It was near ideal. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of production we saw from JT Miller, but also, to a certain extent, Elias Pettersson in the second half of the season. From, from mid-January onwards. Mid-January onwards, he was, he was doing what a lot of people expect him to do. It's going to, you're going to have to hit that level. You're going to have to make sure that your defense is strong. And and that is the biggest question to me. When we talk about structure, when we talk about moving the puck up the ice, how much of that will improve? Can you get out of the zone cleaner and play more aggressively and with a a stronger forecheck? They've made additions in Mikheyev. Pod Colson should be better on that front, hopefully more consistent as well. And they've become a better team with Curtis Lazar down the middle, further down the lineup. But I come back to that idea of, yes, maybe it can be replicated. That's the that's the big question in the city. But without answering the question on the defense, that to me, the way the defense played down the stretch, that could be lightning in the bottle. Like it, that That is the one area that gives me concern. Because if you look at the metrics, if you look at the goals against and all of that, it looked pretty good for the second half of the year. I don't believe in that yet. Until we see what kind of changes they the, make. The goals per game against looked yep. good. Yep. But to your point... The process was not exactly clean. It it was more of a Thatcher-Demko thing than a overall team defense thing. But you, you take your results as you get them. That's all well and good. It's it's how do you build upon it for next season, for this upcoming season. And okay, let's talk about that defense. Because I feel like when Kuzmenko got brought in and now Miller's back, we spent so much time talking about the machinations of the forward group. And you can look for the upside. And people have come up with great ideas. And it's like, well, you can put Besser and Garland with Horvat and what a scoring line. And what do you do? We talked about this last week. Pedersen with Mikheyev and, and put Coles in. That's a stopper line. And you can do these things and get excited with the upside. I feel like we haven't really explored that. Like, Are there experiments you want to see on the blue line? that maybe tap into something greater for the Canucks? Because we're projecting kind of a top seven, top ten to be conservative offense from the forward group. For me, the the ceiling of the defense 
is probably 18th. 18th best decor in the league. But how do you get to that stage? I, I have my reservations. And by the way, it's not as if there's a lot of great decors across the league right now. There just really aren't. So that that number, that 18th number might seem high to you if you're a detractor. Go look at some of the d- blue lines across the, the league right now. It's kind of grim. But how do you get to that stage where you get to that ceiling? Because I, I think if you do the traditional Shen with Hughes, Myers with OEL, I just don't see that coming about where you're going to be a league average defense. You'll you'll probably reside in 22nd, 24th, which is better than being a bottom three, bottom five group, but to try to get it to a stage where you're average, you have to try to tap into the upside. What are the experiments you want to see in camp when when they open up on, t- on the 22nd and say, oh, this guy's playing with this guy? What's the experiment that you want to see? Yeah, that's a great question, and you know, come with your answers as well, 650-650. Always love the creativity, and maybe you're thinking something that we aren't, but the one that comes to mind for me, Bick, and I kind of thought about this one to say, can you have like a strong, strong pairing right at the top of your your defensive pairings? And to me, that is OEL and Hughes, meaning Hughes playing the right side. And I know a lot of people saying, hey, not his natural side. Why would you do that? You know, that might be trouble for a defenseman not playing his natural side. We've been having this conversation in some form since he got drafted. Mm-hmm. Is he capable of playing the right-hand side? And when you are that skilled, when you're that dynamic, when you have a hockey IQ that a Quinn Hughes has, I'd like to see him on the right-hand side for a pretty, you know, consistent t- period of time. At the very least in camp, where you're saying, this is your number one pairing, OEL could probably stay at home a little bit more. He's having to do that with Tyler Myers anyways. When he's playing with him, Myers is the, you know, guy that's kind of freewheeling at times and taking those risks. OEL has to sit back a little bit more where, why don't you try that on the high end with a OEL Hughes pairing and Hughes is going to be the Rover, but OEL still gets to play, you know, an important role on that, on that back end. But I'd like to see what Hughes can do on the right-hand side. Cause it's always been that big question of, can he or will they try him there? And we saw it maybe a shift or two here with Travis Green, you know, a little bit here and there, sparsely kind of thrown in. But I'd like to see it more consistently. So to me, make that that number one pairing, a true number one pairing. Luke Shen is damn good at what he does, but you're okay to move him down. He doesn't have to play with Quinn Hughes. Experiment OEL Hughes. And I guess that's why I wanted to broach this today too, is we're, we're trying to come up with something that taps into the upside. It might not work out. It's more than likely to not work out, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And the break glass in case of emergency scenario for me is, well, you can go back to Luke Shan and Quinn Hughes. It might lower the ceiling of what can happen, but you know it works. And I imagine maybe by game 14, maybe game 8, and it's like, oh, okay, this idea we had isn't really working. We'll, we'll try it out maybe later, but right now it's about getting results. We don't want another bad start on our, on our hands. Let's just go back to Shannon Hughes, which makes a lot of sense. But to your point, the thing that can flip this all, because there's like real quality on the left side with Hughes, OEL, and Rathbone, if you're excited about him. Dermot, if you want to play him on the left-hand side as well. on the left side. Versus there's a volume on the right side, but you worry about some of the results. Pullman. Myers. Shen's the one you only really feel great about. Like, we know Myers is going to log minutes, but they can be 
erratic at times. Kyle Burroughs' name also features there on the right side. And then, again, Travis Dermott can play on the right side. But if you flip Quinn Hughes over, now you wanted to just load up one pairing and say, this is the group, go win your matchups, we can figure out double shifting later so we're not completely exposed later uh, or deeper in the depth chart. To me, that that worries me a little bit, and I think you would get enough offense from OEL in that pairing because two smart players will figure out how yep. to play with each other. They'll produce. So that taps into the offensive upside of OEL. I just worry about how you spread the minutes out for the rest of the group, and I think the, the, the next two pairings could be really vulnerable with those two guys playing together for so many minutes. Yeah, the drop in terms of quality from pairing one to two would be substantial, right? And that's where you potentially have a Dermot playing top four minutes. Kind of scares me. So for me, I would try to do that, but I'm just substituting OEL for Dermot. Okay, so I'm skeptical. So Hughes with Dermot then. Hughes with Dermot. And you can figure out the righty-lefty as they go along. Maybe Hughes is on the right. Whatever it is. Maybe we're we're transitioning more and more to positionless hockey. Yeah. And they can kind of figure that out. But to explore the upside of Dermot in the top four role, I'm skeptical it works, but this is something to me that you could then put Poolman, barring health, with OEL. And now he gets his opportunity to try to be more offensive then. And you get to do Shen, the same tutor role, yep. with someone like Jack Rathbone. Now the problem with this is... Or, or some would call it the bodyguard role. Yeah. Whatever right. you want to call it. The problem with that is there's this $6 million albatross that suddenly doesn't fit in here with Tyler Myers. Isn't that like the biggest issue? And I know there's going to be a lot of cap concerns and Patrick Alvin kind of said it, but didn't say it yesterday, even in his availability of moving money off the cap, right? Like yeah. Tyler Myers is that. Tanner Pearson could be a part of that as well when you're talking about veteran players. But the fit, and I, one of the things I don't want to see We'll probably see it is OEL and Tyler Myers again. The likelihood is they'll sure. play together because you do have a player that you need to s- put somewhere in your lineup with Tyler and Myers, right? Like he's a good player. Just to be clear, like I like Tyler Myers, but the fit is the key here. Yes. I think you actually hold back OEL when you put Myers with him. You can't see the full potential of him. And that's a problem that the Canucks will have to sort out. Your experiment training camp, going back to Dermot for a second. The only reason that I have an issue with that is that having seen him play in Toronto a fair bit, when he got more ice, there was some interesting decision-making coming from Travis Dermott then, well, at that I, point. I think we saw that here last and, year. And we saw it last year in a smaller sample size. We've seen in the past with other defensemen that you're really comfortable on third pair, saying this guy has that role. This is an easy role, but once you start getting that top four minutes, maybe top pairing minutes, that's when you start to see the warts in their game a lot. And to a certain extent, we saw that with some of the decision-making from Dermot last year. That's my one worry, but if you're trying it in training camp, I have no issues with that. Because at some point this year, we, we know there's going to be injuries. We know yeah. Dermot's going to have to play at the top four. So you'll want to see that in training camp. My worry is if that does happen during the regular season, you're probably going to see some warts in that game as well because more ice does not necessarily mean good things for a lot of players. Some players are very comfortable where they play in that second, you know, I would say probably that 5-6 role rather than jumping into that number 4 role. So maybe is, is the answer then, as much as it might scare people, is the answer then just keep Quinn Hughes on the left side and put Myers up there? I don't like that, man. I don't like that. It's... I, I'm like, I, You you have to like figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, the Tyler Myers question is the big one. I, I don't 
necessarily like the fit with OEL. I don't like the the fit with Quinn Hughes either. I think ideally, and we'll see how this plays out, but ideally, if you're looking at if they're playing games tomorrow, not training camp, if they're playing games tomorrow, I think Dermot on the left, Myers on the right, your third pairing makes most sense. $6 million defenseman, I understand it, doesn't help trade value, but Hugh Shen, OEL Pullman, Dermot Myers. If, if I'm thinking, what if, if, if the if, season started tomorrow? If it was game 82 and you got to win a game to go in. That's what you probably do. That's what you're probably doing. Yeah. Poor Jack Rathbone, I, man. Like, again, like there's going to be one odd name here. Yeah. And look, Kyle Burroughs is part of this conversation too. We'll see what Brady Keeper looks like in camp and all that sort of stuff. But this idea of like how to tap into the upside and also make the numbers work is a little complicated. And the fit of how a player, we don't know until they hit the ice, but how they play next to each other, that profile of what type of player they are. I'd love to see Jack Rathbone playing somewhere, but I don't want him to see him next to Tyler Myers. Luke Shen would be great. Mm-hmm. But then who's playing next to Quinn Hughes? Yep. Like, this is this is the problem that the Canucks have. They got a bunch of pieces, but do they fit with the other defensemen? Not necessarily. 650-650, come in with your thoughts. Uh, we'll pitch that uh, throughout the course of the show. I'll also talk about uh, the... The timeline of these contracts. We, we were so focused on the JT Miller contract. Said, oh, you got to get it done before camp. Does that matter to you when it comes to the next contract? Bo Horvat, is that a situation that has to get resolved before camp to you? 650, 650, come in with your thoughts as well. We'll explore that on the other side. A lot more on the way here today on the People's Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. and Randy Jen. Welcome back to the show. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shramati. The People's Show here with you. With you, the people. 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What are they saying in the inbox, Randy? A lot of takes on defense here. Gary coming in with Quinn Hughes has the most important part of playing the right side. High high IQ and edge work. Dynamic player, smart player. If you put him in a position, I think he'll figure it out. Like good players, intelligent players, smart players usually figure it out. I'd like to experiment with him on the right-hand side. I have no problem assuming... He, I, I have no problem believing he will work on the right side. There's a couple of trouble spots. But here's the thing. Like the one thing I worry about is, you know, keeping the puck in the offensive end when you're up against the wall. Yep. Offhand there. Yep. But Quinn Hughes is like one of my favorite things about watching Quinn Hughes is his keeps in the zone. Mm-hmm. He's so good at like a sometimes putting the puck into space and going retrieving it on his own away from a defender, or just in general corralling a a hot puck. Yep. And just able to settle it down, move it, and not necessarily transition, but when the puck comes out, you know, defense is trying to push out a bit. He's able to play against the flow of play yep. and create some space there, either by passing or his own mobility. I think he'll figure that part out 
pretty easily on the right side. Not to say it's going to be perfect, but that's what you have with special players. If they can make a move, they might take a risk every now and then. That's why you have Quinn Hughes, because of the skating ability. But that that skill, that high IQ, he can think things and do things that other players can't. With that comes some mistakes. So if you play him on the right-hand side, like on the left-hand side, there will be mistakes. But that's okay, because he's going to create chances and create opportunities mm-hmm. where the average defenseman, Vic, to your point, is not going to be able to do that. So I'm okay with those mistakes. It's, it's kind of that Eric Carlson conversation from, what, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Oh, he gave up the puck here. Well, well how many opportunities did he create? But also, it's, it's like, if you look at the counting numbers, yeah, the, take, the, the giveaways will be high. He's handling the puck all of the time. For sure. Of and, course, the counting numbers are going to be that because you're also, A, qualified to handle the puck that much, but you're also a bit of a risk taker. That's what you want from those elite level players to try to generate offense. You're going to see some mistakes. Yeah. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of David Savards in the league, right? No no disrespect to David Savard, but he's, not making, he's not making those moves at the blue line. That's why you take a player that is so dynamic. So I'm okay with that on the right-hand side. Uh, we got more coming on with Marcus and Gibson saying, Hughes and OEL is great. It allows Shen to play with Rathbone on our third pair. Another very important point. The way that this defense shakes out, where does Jack Rathbone feature? That's the thing, and and we were having that conversation on the other side. How do you intend to do that graduation process for guys in the AHL when it's blocked? And for me, like one of the exciting parts of trying to explore the upside of pushing this Canucks defense into league average is the inclusion of someone like Jack Rathbone, who's got mobility. You know, I think there's NHL physical traits. I think we can all see that immediately in Jack Rathbone. In his small sample size, we've seen it. Been on these airwaves, and I said, yeah, look, that's an NHLer. We'll talk about awareness at some point. We'll talk about game speed, but he can move like an NHLer. He can make passes like an NHLer. It's just about putting the entire package together, becoming who we think the best version of Jack Rathbone is. That's going to take seasons upon seasons, but you can see there's NHL traits there with Jack Rathbone. And but in this scenario, it's like yep. it's it's getting tough to find a spot in the lineup for him. Well, let's look at some of the other players on that right-hand side, other than Shin, right? Tucker Pullman, we'll see what happens on that front. But is that a player that you probably want Rathbone playing with at this point? Probably not. You know, until Tucker Pullman shows that he can make the right decisions at the right time and maybe not hang on to the puck, that's probably not a situation I'd like. You know, that's a bit of a high-risk pairing to me as a Rathbone is trying to figure it out. The other defenseman, and depending on which side you put him on, maybe a a Dermot, but I feel like Dermot could play with somebody else. I'm not a fan of him playing top four minutes, but he could be more than just a stay-at-home guy. Okay. You want him moving the puck up the ice. You want him maybe a little bit more dynamic. This just occurred to me. Let's do this exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a name of a Canucks D-man, and you tell me how many guys are comfortable with him playing his, his, whatever D-partner. Okay, so like a number four or five, whatever. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Quinn Hughes. I feel like he can play with literally any guy. I think five guys he can play with. Depend- if he's on the right-hand side, you can probably open that up to five. Yeah, I, I think if, if you put Quinn Hughes with everyone but Tyler Myers, basically, is, is what you're saying. Yeah, so Shen, Dermott, Pullman, OEL, I'm fine with. Burroughs? I don't really want to see that. You don't want to see it, but he can play with them. Yeah, like Burroughs and Myers, he can play with them. Don't get me wrong. I just don't want to see that. Okay. So okay. I would I would limit to the four guys that I said. OEL or Ekman Larson. By the way, we got a text also here. Say his full name. And I, okay. And sure. look, uh, we're, I get it. It's a fair complaint. 
Uh, someone said, is it really that hard to say Ekman Larson? Rolls off the tongue pretty easily. I'll better you on that. Oliver Ekman Larson. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we're going to we'll, say his first name as well. We're, we're here for critiques. I'd say four. Four defensemen. Because in my scenario where Hughes is on the right-hand side, yeah. I'd put him in that group. I'm okay with Luke Shen playing with him. Gives OEL a chance to maybe be a little bit more adventurous. Pullman, and unfortunately... Myers. Myers, I, I'd say three. It, look, I, it's, it's worked with it's Tyler workable. Myers. It's We've also seen what the floor looks like. Quinn Hughes, I don't want to see with Tyler Myers. Sure. OEL, we've seen it. We've seen it work. I'll allow it. Okay. Tyler Myers. How many guys can he play with? Okay. The list is quite small. That's two. That's why I wanted to do this. Two. Yeah. OEL and Dermot. I'm okay with those two. The Dermot one scares me a little bit because it's two guys that have interesting traits, right? They can push the puck up the ice, take chances, but in a third pairing role, which is what they would likely be on this roster, I don't mind that because you're you're probably limiting the minutes a little bit. So even though there's high-risk elements to both of their games, I don't mind it if it's in a slightly reduced role. Luke Shen. Three players. Oh, who's the third? Hughes, OEL. Oh, okay. You, I, I wouldn't. That's all. For for which one? Uh for, for Ekman Larson and Shen. I think I just think that's too slow of a pairing. It might be, but at the same time, I think if you're trying to get a little bit more offense out of OEL, I'd I'd give it a try. I'd give it a try. And Dermot is the other one that I'd say on the left hand side, if you're playing him on the left. Oh no, I'd, Rathbone. Rathbone as well. That's the one guy that I keep forgetting about. Rathbone, sure. of course. I mean for me it's Hughes and, and Rathbone. Just yep. be the bodyguard, as you have coined now. Yep. Be that guy. And and that's it. Now that's the Top pairing? Yep. And it's also maybe the third pairing. But for me, that's the the spot for Luke Shen is two guys. Uh, who are we missing here? Dermot? Dermot and... Um, and Burroughs. Bur- uh, Burroughs and Pullman as well, depending on what oh, yeah, is okay. up with his, his yeah. health. But with Dermot, I would probably go... Because he can play both sides, I think it's a higher yeah. number than we realize. Yeah, I think it's four players. Mm-hmm. Hughes, I'm not a huge fan of, but I could see that at least being tried out. OEL. Pullman. As well, especially if you're looking at a different look for your third pair. Yeah. And then Luke Shin. I wouldn't put him and Rathbone together just because I think that's too high risk. And we'll do the last one here because I think Kyle Burroughs is it's pretty straightforward. One or two guys. Yeah. Pullman. Okay, Pullman. Assuming health. Assuming health. And let's just say he's ready to go first day of training camp. I see three guys he could play next to. If he can simplify his game a little bit more than we saw last year. And play very similar to a Dumoulin slash Ian Cole slash anybody of that era. All you're really asking, because he has mobility. Yes. Just make that decision quicker, man. Just, just yeah. make the right decision make it quicker. All you're really, really asking for Tucker Pullman is be physical. Yep. Protect the blue line with your mobility. Mm-hmm. Retrieve pucks. Yep. And block shots. That's like really it. But also, Bick, when you have the puck, get it out to the wingers yeah. immediately. Like, I want that yeah. decision making really quick. And for that reason, I think he could play with three guys on this roster. Hughes, OEL, German. On the right-hand side, if you play a simplified game mm-hmm. next to any one of those guys, Ekman Larson, yeah, he lacks foot speed. Tucker Pullman, you can provide that. You're not the slowest guy out there. You're pretty decent. You're decently mobile. You know, Dermot might take some chances going forward. He might make the mistake. Can you stay home? And can you, can you play that role where you're just, you're blocking the shots. You're denying those... You know, passes in the passing lane. Oh, with Hughes, he's roving. You got to stay home. I, I could see that. A lot of this obviously depends on his health, but it also depends on him showing a different version of himself, more simplified, 
Just make that decision. Don't overdo it. Don't overthink it. Don't try to do too much. Because last year when he was healthy, that's what we saw. It was YOLO mode for Tucker Pullman last yeah. year in a lot of those games. Not something that I liked. 650-650, this one's coming in. Uh, Quinn's next step is his finish. Start converting on more of his chances. That is one of the separators when we're talking about the high end of the D-men is now goals coming from Quinn Hughes. I think that will come at some point. But if we're talking about a flip, I, I still think of him going to the right side. I still think like more defensive awareness yeah. is the thing I want to see continue to evolve for Quinn Hughes. I, I think at some point he'll become a 10-goal scorer. But in the here and now, the, the big thing, it would, it would help on the power play. Look, he's already so productive on the power play. Yeah. But if he if he developed a shot a bit more, that would help on the power play. I'm still the defensive zone. Like, we see what Kendall McCarr did versus Connor McDavid. If you get Quinn Hughes to just below that level or near that level, and I think that's in his game, yeah. it's just got to be consistent. That's the thing I want to see more so than anything. We saw a step last year where oh, yeah. he was, you know, righted or wrong in his books. Remember, he was very, very something you wanted to. He took it personally, yeah. right? And, and that's uh, that's something that he talked about. His brother Jack Hughes and Tim and friends talked about that as well. That plus minus minus twenty four. He didn't like that, and that was something that he worked on in the off season. Further development on that. The shot on the power play, especially though, when OEL would step into power play one because Hughes couldn't play, the difference was noticeable. Mm -hmm. You got a heavy shot coming from the top, and that makes goalies, that makes defensemen think. It gives you a little bit more options on, you know, the half boards, whether it was JT Miller, whether it was Elias Pedersen. You need to have that a part of your game at some point because it just adds a little bit more to that power play and makes it more dynamic. So defense is the priority, but that shot just being a little bit more heavier. Accuracy, you're not worried about. Can you get it through? Can you get it off quick enough where defenses aren't, you know, even if they want to block it, you're making them pay a little bit. He's not there yet. I'd like to see that development because... That would make this power play lethal. You got shot options on both sides. You got somebody in the bumper. You got somebody down low. And imagine having even a, like a B, like a B minus shot or a B level shot. It doesn't have to be a Sammy Sallow special. It doesn't have to be Al McKinnis or Ally Afraidy. Just get it through and a slightly, like a heavy shot that can at least pop out a rebound or two. Kurt from Ladner, in your guys' opinion, does Hughes look for the pass too often on the power play? Sometimes it feels like he has a shooting lane, but looks for a pass, but obviously it's different watching on TV. I think that's a fair yeah, assessment. Now, to Quinn Hughes' playing style, like he is more of a facilitator naturally uh, than he is more of a, a shooter at the point. Even at lower levels. Yep. He had five goals for Michigan back-to-back -back years, right? Generally, when you pump up those numbers, the point-per-game player in but his goals have been consistent throughout. Mm -hmm. He's never been a goal scorer. So this is going to be, I think the thought process aspect of this is is something that Kurt brings up. Yeah, he's, he's pass first. He's not Henrik Sedin pass first, mm -hmm. but he's still thinking about that pass. Especially when that power play runs from JT Miller, mm -hmm. that left shot there, there's going to be one-timer opportunities. Uh, if that's something that develops, then yeah, it could be another element, another wrinkle to Queen Hughes' game. Vic Nazar, Randy Janda here on The People Show. Another thing we want to talk about, uh, we kind of joked yesterday, the gaze of Canucks Nation is slowly going to shift towards uh, Bo Horvat as far as contract timelines here. There was so much emphasis on the JT Miller discussions of saying, well, JT's got to sign this before training camp. He got his big career year. This is You want to pay 
your big payday in this summer. And you don't want to go into the year with this thing hanging over. And a lot of people, you know, I, I said it too. It's like, you got to solve this before training camp. I, th- I, th- I think a lot of Canucks fans wanted that. Well, you got your resolution on that. Does that same timeline matter to you on the Bo Horvat contract? Does that need to be resolved in training camp or before training camp? Or is this different than the Miller situation to you? This is different. And we've kind of assumed it was different from day one based on the fact that this should be the easier negotiation. There seems to be, not reporting anything, but it seems to be an easier road to get to this contract. I think the number is a little different now, probably, maybe, maybe. When you're talking about, we were talking about $7 million and the Tomas Hurdle and and some of those contracts as being the, what's the market value for Bo? Oh, okay, yeah. I think that number, you can tweak a little bit here or there. However, the timeline, I don't think you need to get this done by the beginning of the year. It just feels like a smoother negotiation where you could get past, you know, the trade deadline even and say, hey, this is a decision that whenever both parties get together, they'll make it happen. I I don't think that time pressure is there. With JT Miller, it was what direction does his organization go and where does JT Miller feature into it? Does he want to stay in Vancouver was a huge question. I still feel pretty confident that Bo Horvat. The place for him is Vancouver. So those time pressures, Bic, I don't feel it's the same as the JT Miller uh, conversation. I think you can play it out as well. And A, I think there's a couple of factors here. The age plays a role in this. Two, I think the the standing in the organization, the community plays a role into this because he's your captain. If you, yep. if you... This isn't a, oh, I think they should do this. I think they should do that. We've had that conversation. There's more skin in the game. Yeah. And I think from both angles here, where I think it matters a great deal if if you move on from your captain. But I think because that there's there's skin in the game from the Horvat side, you might be able to play this out a bit longer and say, hey, like the emotional attachment from your end to matters in this city. Let me pose it from this perspective, though, because from a team perspective, I don't think there's any issue with waiting, especially if he's your guy. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they said, hey, a month out from the deadline when it came to JT Miller, that's when it really ramps up. Yes. You could apply that same principle to Bohorvat. And Alvin mentioned him as a part of the core five, right? So all things are pointing that way. From Bo's perspective, the benefit of waiting here is there's one player in the league that I look at and I say, if Dylan Larkin makes a lot of money in Detroit, mm-hmm. and I want to be clear, Dylan Larkin, from a points perspective, is a better player. His numbers back that up. He's hit 70 points, something that Bo's never been able to do. But if you're saying a team with a bunch of cap space makes a pretty substantial move for a Dylan Larkin and they re-sign him to a number that Bo and his agent can say, all right, if he's worth this much, where do we land? It gives you a little bit of an idea of way. It gives you an idea of what you can maybe ask for, right? That worked for JT Miller. Kadri came down. Kadri got you know forty nine million over seven years, and that gave JT Miller an idea of okay, this is where I stand now. With the Dylan Larkin one, one to be watching in Detroit. What that number is, it might give you a better perspective of where a Bo Horvat lands. Bo's older. Larkin is twenty six. You know they're kind of by the time the the contract expires. We'll know where the numbers and the age of the players. But I, I do wonder if you're Bo's camp as well, saying, hey, yeah, we want to lock in, but why not wait a couple of months? Maybe another deal comes through and gives us a better sense of what we can ask for. And I think with waiting too, and, and this is kind of what I mean with skin in the game, JT Miller arrived in Vancouver to 
much of the chagrin of Canucks fans. It was it was a fairly polarizing move. People had thoughts. People didn't want to welcome him. It's like, hey, this is a bit of a wild move. It's irresponsible. And in critiquing the trade, you don't necessarily extend the warmest of welcomes to the player. That doesn't exist with Bo Horvat. Your draft pick. Fans have got the chance to warm up to him. You named him captain. You named him captain. If this drags on, I kind of feel like Canucks fans would understand why this was taking a while, and they wouldn't critique Bo Horvat over it. Whereas I don't know if that would exist with JT Miller. No, because with JT Miller, there's always the, he's been here for a couple of years, but where does he really see us? Yeah. And where I, does he see himself in Vancouver? The answer has been provided now. He wants to yeah. probably finish his career and, here. And now perhaps that warm reception that never really arrived, like the universal warm reaction, will finally arrive for someone like JT Miller. But I think there'd be a certain level of forgiveness to extend it towards Bo Horvat by Canucks fans that wouldn't have existed for JT Miller. And so I think you can play this out into the season. That's fair. You're not going to have the same will he or won't he get traded conversation that we've had here with JT Miller. The other aspect is, if you're the organization, is that an easier conversation to have with Bo Horvat? I think it is. Because one of the things that Alvin has not been shy about, and Rutherford definitely hasn't been shy about, is moving money off the books. And a couple of years ago, remember, not this past offseason, but the offseason before, Bo Horvat, you could tell in his final interview and in his final press conference of the year, he was sick of losing. So if you're saying, hey, hang tight, you're our guy, we need to move some of this money off the books so we can not only lock you up, but also at the same time, figure out some other things like this defense. I think there's a patience there in place to say, we got a plan here, but we got to make some of this money disappear. We got to make sure that either we trade a player or there's some other situation that we, you know, you make... Some of that cap space, that, that's something that's really important. So I think there is, from a public perception perspective, there's a lot of patience here. I would imagine from the player's perspective as well. I also wonder just how much people are fatigued over the Miller negotiation. They don't want to get all worked up over this one. It's like, oh man, we, we burned so much capital, take capital, and yeah. energy on the Miller one. Whatever happens next, happens next. Well, darkness, seriously, friend. absolutely. We've been talking about this a lot though. But now that you know what the direction is, JT Miller's contract or trade, in the end, a contract, tells us the direction of the team. So even though it was one player, it also dictated on which direction the team would be going. That decision's been made. So that angst, I think the stress levels in Vancouver are going to drop a little bit. It's been a little bit of a year. It has. Really? You think so? I think they're going to drop a little bit for the time being based on the fact that this whole existential crisis of what am I, who am I from a team perspective, that's been answered. Whether sure. you agree okay. or not, Okay. you actually, you there is a fork in the road and you pick one road. That's fair. Okay. So I, I think the stress level, at least for the next couple of weeks, have dropped. Now if they go 8 and 17 again, stress levels are rising. Oh, big time. Rise yeah, big we might time. have to take out the worryometer at that point. <laughs> why would you even say that, Pick? It's not as if they haven't done it. It's true. That's why. Uh, Beck Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shermati as well. Uh, you can always chime in 650-650. What are they saying in the inbox? Jay and Delta is not so optimistic. If Bo Horvat isn't signed by the trade deadline, you trade him like you would trade anyone else. That's absolutely. But we're just saying, if this goes into November, I don't think we'll get the same reaction of people saying, hey, Alcom Horvat hasn't signed yet. Whereas with JT Miller, it was very adamant. People wanted a resolution before training camp. I think people understand. And by the way, from Bo's side too, do you explore 
and say, hey, what if I have a career year? Yeah. Like, you had a good year last year. Is that the ceiling of my game? Can I push it a little bit more and really go get paid? That's, like, that. that is on the table for the Horvat camp themselves. One of his pros is his level of consistency that statistically he's always going to land in that same range. Yeah. But do you say, hey, I, I have a floor. Do I maybe just risk it and push it to see what my ceiling is? That The way that they're going to line up their centers potentially as well, you know, if they go with that matchup line being Pedersen rather than the Bo Horvat, there's a chance that he could have a great year, right? Like if he's getting softer matchups than previous years mm-hmm. and he's playing with players that have a little bit more offense in their game rather than a shutdown line, there is potential that he could he could do that. Right? If he scored thirty plus again, that number of like oh five and change, like that's not happening. We got this one from Minor Matt in Abbotsford. After fifty years of not winning bleep, I don't have a lot of patience left to give to the Canucks <laughs> or Bo for that matter. Hey, that's fair, but are you freaking out if the captain isn't signed? Let's just say we're having this conversation in December. We we'll get a couple more of your texts on the other side here on the People Show into our. Number two, a lot more on the way. Cam DeSilva will preview the NFC West. And Danny Kelly answering your week one stardom sit questions. Text them in, 650-650. We'll talk about a bunch of the players in week one matchups uh, helping you out. Now that fantasy season has finally arrived, and I'll, I will uh, debut Randy Janda's fantasy team name in the People Show Fantasy League. Oh, I can't He's wait. He's dreading it. He's dreading it, ladies and gentlemen. Can't wait. Can I take that next segment off? No? <laughs> it's all on the way here. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It's been 84 years. 